Um, Brother Kevin's going to come at this time. He's going to be preaching for us tonight, so y'all pray for him. Get your Bibles out. Uh, Brother Kevin is our missionary to South Africa, been in on furlough this year, and uh, appreciated them uh, being here. He was uh, A lot of his meetings and stuff got canceled at first. I mean, they come in, going to have all these meetings and, and race support and this kind of thing, and then everything just shut down, and um, which was awful. But I, we, we had Brother Kevin around here every day. We painted rooms. We did carpet. It was great. And he was so helpful. And so we pre- so that whole hallway down there that now has you know got the new paint and the new carpet and all of those kinds of things, Brother Kevin was uh, really helpful in doing that. Appreciate him so much. Um, I consider him somebody I look up to. Um, appreciate all they're doing there in South Africa, and I consider him a friend. And so let's listen to him uh, tonight as he comes and preaches to us. Clark, you want to give a testimony? Clark wants to give a testimony tonight. (laughs) Rephrase that. My dad loves putting me on the spot. (laughs) I don't mind that. Uh, Just say a quick thank you to Whitfield Baptist Church. From day one, everybody here has been really sweet, friendly, and kind, and I want to say thank you for that. I know my family would say the same as well. So from me and on behalf of my family, thank you, Whitfield. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. I want to say it is, uh, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but it is so important to have a good church Um, and to have fellowship. And to, you know, that verse we looked at last week uh, where Peter says, Look, Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. And he says, No one has left houses or lands or fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, for the gospel's sake and for my sake, that does not receive a hundredfold in this life and the eternal life and the life to come. And I, I, I really believe that I inherit so much. We're leaving out tomorrow, uh, and we're leaving, and it, it's not fun. It's, it's definitely not fun. Some of you have experienced that. Uh, my Aunt Bernella, she does this, and others in the room it's not fun. I hate it. I'd be honest with you. I'd rather, I, I hate people, you know, feeling bad on, on our, I don't think people feel bad because of me anymore. It's more the kids and Corley. Uh, but, but I don't like that. But I know for us, you know, wherever we go in the world, there's, there's, there's family. There's churches that are brothers and sisters in Christ. They may speak another language and uh, they may be a different color, but they're family. And uh, I really feel bad for people that don't have a church family. Um, there's a reason. There's a reason. God, a, 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 mil, a million reasons, but there, there, there's some practical reasons, some, some, some health reasons as to why you should be a member in a local church and be involved and have strong friendships in it. Because, you know, many of you, your kids are going to move off. Uh, you, can't, you can't always depend on them, and, and you're going to be alone. And then what do you have? Uh, God would have you to have a local church, to have brothers and sisters in Christ that you can fellowship with, that you can have strong friendships with, that transcend what happens in this world uh, and can continue, continue to, to uh, help your heart to have joy and, and love and all those things in the absence of, of some of those that you may count dearest. And so you got to have a local church. you got to have a local church. Christianity was never meant to be lived on an island by yourself. I'm an introvert. I get that. I'd go live in the woods by myself. It'd be, be all right. I enjoy my own company. Uh, but that's not the way God intended it, and that's not healthy. 
And so I need people. I need this church. There's people in this church that have rebuked me over the years. And I didn't enjoy it at the time. I may have wanted to use some physical uh, force at the time. But I held my peace, walked away, and afterwards I thought he was right. Or she was right. And it made me a better person. But if I'm just out there by myself, I don't have anybody like that. I need that to grow. I need people to love on me. I need people to encourage me. I need people to challenge me. I need people to say things to me that nobody else would say to me. You find that in a local church. You don't find that anywhere else. And so uh, if, if you're, you know, you're here tonight and maybe you're just wondering how important this is, it's extremely important. It's important for your kids. It's important for your kids to understand how important the local church is because once they leave your home, they need to have one wherever they go. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And if there's anything in this world that, that is being questioned, it's truth. But thank God there's still a church in this world, churches around this world, that still preach truth, even though it's not popular. And so I just say that to say thank you for being a wonderful church and stay faithful while we're gone. We're going over there representing you and, and multiplying what, a lot of what goes on here. And so uh, we thank you for your support. We thank you for your faithfulness. And... Uh, we just encourage you to be faithful to this place and not take it for granted. Tonight I want to take you to Mark chapter number 11. And we're going to read just a few verses here. Verse number 11, it says this. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked around about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And on the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. God, thank you for the wonderful music that has already been sung I thank you for the uh, precious children, God, that sang such a beautiful song, Lord. I pray that you'd use their lives. God, I pray that our hearts are prepared to hear your word. God, hide me behind your cross, and I pray that your truth be heard loud and clear in our hearts. Help us from your word. Encourage us and challenge us and convict us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this evening, if you want to write down notes, is a bit of a controversial one, and I'm not trying to rub any, uh, you know, uh, rustle any feathers or anything like that, but it's titled, No Masks Allowed. And uh, no, no, no amens right there. I was in a place called Liberal Kansas a few weeks ago, and uh, uh, the church that we were at, great church, and they took us, the guys, out to a, an axe-throwing uh, store. It was a gun shop, and inside there they, they did axe-throwing. I'd never done that before. Uh, this is not important, but it is. My team won. But anyways, they had a sign on the front door that said, no masks allowed. And I was just like, it, it was kind of, kind of hit you the wrong way. Like, whoa, wait, is that a, is that a misprint? And so we went in the store and we said, what is that, what's up with the sign? He's like, this is a gun store. You're not coming in my gun store with a mask on. And so no masks allowed. And I want to talk about masks tonight. But the mask we want to look at tonight is a lot harder to see with the eye, with the naked eye. 
And unfortunately, most of us, probably all of us at times, have put on this mask. And it's, it's really hard to see, and unfortunately, some may be wearing it all the time. And it's the mask of hypocrisy. And it doesn't help you, it hurts you in the end. It literally means, hypocrisy literally means to act as an assumed character. It's like putting on a mask. When I was in high school, I had a friend, Reed Riley, and he was uh, going for his Eagle Scout. And he got hurt. He was in a wheelchair. He wasn't permanently, but just for a period of time. But I guess he had to get it done in a certain amount of time. And he asked if I couldn't do this particular thing on his behalf so he could finish up his Eagle Scout. And I said, sure without asking, like a wise man would, what I was signing up for. And uh, his mother picked me up on a Saturday morning. We went down to Walnut Square Mall, back when it was the happening place. And they were doing some sort of book reading thing, promoting book reading. We walk into the mall. His mom hands me this little box about the size of something you might put a pair of socks in. And she says, go put this on. I go to the bathroom, and I open this box, and to my horror... It was a spandex Batman outfit. I had no choice at this point. I had braces at this time. I was a, I was a braced Batman in spandex that actually smelled like uh, bad body odor. And uh, sure enough, all of my friends from the area came down and watched me perform as Batman with this mask on. They knew exactly who I was. And they made sure everybody around and anybody else that came around knew that that was me. It was embarrassing. <laughs> Having a mask on, dressing up like someone, assuming in a character, to act and assume a character, is something that looks like the real thing, but couldn't be further from it. And friend, here's the thing, hypocrisy is something that God hates. And in our passage, Jesus uses the fig tree to teach us about hypocrisy. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 45 through 48, around this same time, Jesus goes in, He cleanses the temple. He says to those religious leaders that you have made my house and others that were buying and selling in the temple, my house is the house of prayer for all the nations. You have made it a den of thieves. And He is furious. Now He, he comes to this leafy fig tree with all of its promise of fruit, and it's His deceptive as that temple was, and all those that were running to and fro in it, making all that noise and moving around all that money and doing all those rituals and things in the name of God. It was really a hideout for, for thieves and criminals. The curse of the fig tree, as one man said, was a symbol of God's judgment on the temple, but I think it's also a warning to us as New Testament believers of how God looks upon hypocrisy. The barren fig tree graphically illustrates the emptiness and the worthlessness of that kind of worship that was going on. Here's something you need to remember as we go through this, that the fig fruit preceded the leaf on the fig tree. So this tree had leaves, so it should have had fruit. Though the Bible says that the time of the fig, time of the fr- fig fruit was not yet. You know, sometimes as we read our Bibles, we, we look at it and we look at Jesus as He walks and He teaches and different things and we, we say, man, why, why doesn't Jesus address more of the issues going on in our day or going on in that day and time? 
And by the way, there were many issues. Don't think that was a perfect. There were many issues, uh, many of which are very similar to the ones that we have going on today, but far worse going on in Jesus' day. But why didn't Jesus address those things? And I think uh, the reason is, as one other preacher noted, he said, though fully aware of all the evil that was going on in the world in his time, Jesus never deviated from the issue of worship. It dominated his life and his ministry. A person's, a person's saving knowledge of God, his heart dominated Jesus' ministry. And he knew that until that was made right, nothing else could be made right. And friend, the multitude of the people that were following Jesus during that time, they thought he was going to fix their social problems. They thought he was going to fix their financial problems. They thought he was going to fix their political problems when he went to Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus goes straight to the temple to deal with the hypocrisy of their worship. And understand this, that the most important and all-encompassing issue in your life is your heart, and within your heart, your worship of God. If your worship of God is not right, nothing else in your life will be right. And so taking this illustration of the fig tree, and as Jesus talks about it, I want to give you a few truths here that might help us this evening, help us to, to just take inventory and just to see if we're being real or if we're playing games or if we might be wearing the mask at this very moment. The first one is this, it cannot satisfy God. It cannot satisfy God. Look at verse number 12 again. It says, On the morrow when, he, when, they, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. When they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. Can you imagine God in the flesh hungry? Let's put it in terms that might hit home. Can you imagine God in the flesh having a need or having a desire and coming to you to meet it? You pretend to love God. You pretend to worship God. You pretend to be a follower of God. But when he, God actually comes to you for something, He finds out that you are not real, not sincere, not really worshiping like you had been putting on. The one thing God desires of us, worship. And we try to trick Him in it. You're only pretending to want to serve Him. You're only going through the motions you're only singing with your lips, but your heart wasn't in it. You were pretending to wanting, want to supply a need, but you, when push came to shove, you couldn't and you wouldn't. You know, a hypocrite is like a scammer. I don't know if y'all have ever been scammed before. I've been looking for a car in South Africa here recently, trying to do it online. That way, when I get there, I already have some, some, some cars lined up to go and look, look at. And man, there's so many scams cars left and right, and it's like, man, that's exactly what I was looking for. It looks too good to be true. And then you look a little bit, and you're like, man, that has the exact same miles, exact same mileage as this one has, and it, there's, just, there's just things about it you're like, this, something is not right here. And then you talk to the person, you're like, this is not adding up. The, the pictures look beautiful. Pictures look fantastic. Then you do a little investigation, you find out it's not what it really advertises itself to be. That's a hypocrite. God desires worship 
of man. Jesus here was hungry. He was actually literally hungry. And the fig tree was promising satisfaction, but it was an empty promise. God desires your worship. He really desires your worship. He created you to worship Him. Your heart will worship something or someone. But as Christians, there's only one that we're supposed to worship. But it's so easy to act like we're worshiping God, to put on a mask, to assume the character, but our hearts are not worshiping Him. In John 4.23, Jesus said, The hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The Father seeketh such to worship Him. Your life is always going to be out of kilt. Your, always, your life is always going to be not what it could be or should be when your worship is not right. Is your heart right? You're truly worshiping Him in your heart of hearts. God wants worship from us. He wants real, genuine worship. It's not about perfection. Don't get this wrong. God knows not, you're not perfect. This place is not a place of perfect beings. Somebody left here and said, oh, it's a bunch of hypocrites. They probably got a moat in their eye. They can't, they can't see clearly because they've not really seen themselves for what they are. None of us, none of us are perfect. And if you're perfect, please, don't come around me because I'm not perfect. I'll go ahead and say that. And I'm not condoning sin, but we're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfect until we see Jesus. It's not about perfection, it's about progression. It's about our heart. It's not about a, a show with our hands, but what's going on in the heart of each one of us. It's as the psalmist said in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are broken and contrite heart. Verse 16, behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. Are you true with God? Are you honest with God? If anyone could have had an awesome sacrifice, it was David. But David realized there was something far more important. I know there was sin that was being dealt with here. But nonetheless, David realized there was something far more important than the outside. That it has to start on the inside. How's your heart? Is there true worship bubbling out of your heart? Coming from your heart? Jesus came hungry. And he went away hungry. I wonder if he does that with our lives. Wow, there's some beautiful music coming out of this person's mouth. Wow, there's some boasting about what God's doing through this person's life. Through I'm doing through this person's life. And he comes to examine it. And he finds a heart filled with pride. He finds a heart filled with bitterness. He finds a heart filled with envy. He finds a heart filled with anger. Not worship. He finds a heart where self is on the throne, not himself. Jesus is hungry. The Father seeks such to worship Him. The one thing God desires, and we try to trick Him in it. Secondly, it will be inspected. It will be inspected. Look at verse number 13. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, He came... 
if haply he might find anything thereon. Underline those words. First was he was hungry. Secondly, he came. He came. If haply he might find anything thereon. So Jesus is hungry. He's looking for something to eat. Where might I feel my desire? Where can I get something to eat? Understand this. God will never just look from afar. He will come up close to see if what it is is genuine. Now, food is something we inspect. Something we see, we touch, we taste. Worship is something that should be far more pure than that. And God knows pure worship. And He will examine it. He'll look up close to see if it is what it should be. In South Africa, sometimes you just eat it. You don't look at it, you just eat it. I remember the first time I ate ikaditi, which was cowhead soup. I ate it with Sipo, and they were just chopping a cowhead on the side of the road on a spool. Wire, what a, a, a wire would come on one of those wooden spools. And this man is just hacking away. There was no, maybe there was some sort of art to it. It just looked like he was hacking away. A bone was flying, hair was flying, and chunks of meat. And then the mama was taking it, putting it in the pot, and she was putting some beef stock in there. Had a great flavor. Had a fantastic flavor. I just wanted mine without the cow hair in it. And I started complaining about the cow hair, and Sipo looked at me like, what are you complaining about? Like, this is normal. And so I learned from that point on, just kind of, just, just eat it. Don't look, just eat it. Go along with it. Usually food is something that we will look at. We will inspect. And worship is far more important than food. God's going to expect it. He's going to come and expect and inspect it. Happily, He might find genuine worship going on in your life. Genuine service for Him going on in your life. Or is it you? We contaminate. As Spurgeon said, even our best works are contaminated many times with sin. God wants genuine. The psalmist said in Psalm 17, 3, he said, Thou hast proved my heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. So come and look. You're not fooling anybody. You're fooling us, but you're not fooling God, rather. That's all we can do as human beings. We, we look from afar. You know, we look on the outside. Can't see the heart. We can look and say, well, wow, that's, that's awesome worship. But we don't see the heart behind it. We see, wow, that's, that's, incredible, that's incredible service. Wow, that's incredible what you've done for the Lord. Or done in the ministry. Or done serving. Or the life that you're living as a Christian. Wow. But friend, you've got to understand that God comes and He looks on your heart. We run on the flesh so many times. We're going off of what we can do. And we're looking for who's looking at us so we can get praise. And that's filthy. That's not worship. God's not worshiped through that. God looks through a microscope. We look through a, we look through a telescope. If you're really wanting to be used of God, worship God with your life, He will come and inspect your heart. It's the heart that is... That is the, the spring of the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23 tells us. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
It's pride that in the heart that makes it disgusting to God. In Proverbs 16.5 it says, Everyone that is proud in the heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. It reveals who you really are. Proverbs again, 23.7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So friend, we can, we can put on this thing and act like we're okay and act like we're doing it. But God's looking at your heart. And what a shame to live your whole life faking people out. But God knows all along that you're a hypocrite. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's like you're running a pyramid scheme or something. It's your whole life. It's going to come crumbling down one day when you stand before the Lord. You wasted it. You wasted it. He'll come to see, to, to look, to see if what was so beautiful for an hour on Sunday is so beautiful on Monday morning. He'll see if the one that claims to know Him and love Him in public worship also loves Him in private and all along the way, the path of life. He will see if what looks so promising from a distance looks the same up close. He told the hypocrites in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, he said, you hypocrites, well did his eyes prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let me ask you, if Jesus checked your heart, inspected it, inspected it, what would he find? Is it all talk, but no real living sacrifice going on from the heart? Did we just play the actor in the church? Or are we truly, completely surrendered, seeking and singing to our God from our hearts? Paul, I love this, he prayed for the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to what he prayed. He said this, he said that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. He wasn't praying for them to get saved. He was praying for them that Christ would be at home in their hearts. That they would be living as worshipers because Christ was dwelling and at home, living at home in their hearts. Is he at home in your heart? You know how some people are. People show up at your house, knock on your door. Say, oh no. Wait just a minute. Flip some books over. Hide some DVDs. I don't even know if that exists anymore. Turn the TV off. Change the channel. Put some things away. Because you're not comfortable with these people coming in the way things are. Is Jesus at home in your heart? It's not just on Sundays. It's every day of the week. What are you allowing in there? What are you harboring? What are you a bed and breakfast for throughout the week? Or is Jesus truly dwelling in your heart? I've been in homes where I was ready to get out of that home. I did not feel at home in that home. I felt very nervous or or just very uncomfortable, maybe even unwelcome in a home. 
I was there on Thursday night. No, I'm just kidding. I would hope Jesus is not that way in my heart. I would hope that the one that died for me went through what he went through for me. Gave me eternal life. I would hope that I would go out of my way to make him feel at home in my heart. And that's where real worship comes from. It's not from your lips, not from your hands. It's what's in your heart. He sees what goes on there all through the week in the lives of those that call themselves Christians. He's not fooled. He comes to check it out. He doesn't just take our word for it. It's not about you being in the temple one day a week, but the temple being in you seven days a week. Is there not anything more disappointing? You watch a movie, if you watched a movie, and it's a war movie, or it's an action movie. And there's just this real strong, manly, just destroys everybody kind of guy in there. Manly is all get out. You're like, man, I want to be like that guy. Then you look him up afterwards. I mean, he, he beat everybody up. He, he picked stuff up. He threw it. He destroyed things. You're like, and he looks so rough and tough. And you look him up. You find a YouTube video about this guy, an interview, only to find out he's a feminine. Anything more disgusting than that? More that lets you down than that? There is. It's a Christian that sings beautifully on Sunday, pretends and acts the part so well in front of people, but is a fake behind the scenes. Thirdly, and I'm finished. Actually, I'm not. I'm getting close. Verse 13 again, it says this. It says, And when he came to it, the second part of verse 13, And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. Third point is this, it adds up to nothing. It adds up to nothing. When he came to it, he found nothing. He found nothing. There was leaves, there was a tree, it was boasting of great things, but when Jesus came with a hunger, he came and he inspected it, he found nothing. Friend, all of our hypocrisy amounts to nothing. Speaking again of that temple, man, there was all kinds of stuff going on there. Buying and selling and running to and fro, probably prayers being made and rituals being done, all this commotion and, and, and work and things being done in the name of God. But Jesus says, he found nothing. He found nothing. You know what he's saying? I didn't find any worship. And all the rushing and commotion and things that you're doing in Jesus' name, is it when he really inspects it, he comes and he looks at it, is it Nothing. The outcome is the same every time. All his hypocrisy, when it's inspected by God, leaves behind the same thing, the same results every time. Nothing of value but leaves. You'd think that we would learn 
You'd think that we would learn as human beings. You'd think as we would learn as Christians from, from, from looking around and being able to read the Scriptures and find out. But somehow I think we think our mask is better than the, next, the other guys. And we, we, we're, we're tremendous. I find that we're tremendous at this, and the Bible warns about this, of deceiving our own selves. We deceive our own selves. We deceive our own selves, and we, we somehow even convince ourselves that, that God somehow doesn't really know either. But He does. When He comes and he expect, inspects it, finds nothing. Finds nothing. I don't know about you, but I hate wasting time. I really do. I hate, I hate backtracking. If I'm on the road and I'm going somewhere, man, I hate having to detour or go back or anything like that. It drives me crazy. And when you're, you're living a hypocritical life, that's what you're doing. You're just wasting time, taking detours. Nothing's coming of that. It's exactly what you're doing. The outcome is the same every time. I want you to know something here. Interesting note about the first, first mention of, of fig leaves in Genesis 3, 7. The Bible says, In the eyes of them both, Adam and Eve, were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And just as leaves were used to try to cover sin in the beginning, so sinners still to this day try to use leaves, hypocrisy, to act as if they are holy and righteous on their own but they're merely covering their sin and will be found out. But even as Christians sometimes, we're trying to, it's like we're trying to use these same fig leaves to cover and think we're fooling God. Coming to church, membership in the church, baptism, our public performance. It's just fig leaves. It's not fooling God. He knows what's going on. Fourthly, and I'm finished, it ends up causing loss or judgment. In verse number 14, he says, And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. Jesus personifies the tree and condemns it for not providing what the appearance of it was promising. Remember, this is a, a, a picture of, of the hypocrisy and the judgment of God upon the, the temple, the worship, rather, of the temple. And God's judgment is just. This was not a display of Jesus losing his temper, man, getting mad at this tree. But he was patient, man. He had been teaching, he had been preaching, loving on these very people. And they continued in their hypocrisy. They would eventually, very soon, rather, condemn him, lie about him, and in a cruel fashion, kill him. It was going to end in their judgment. He says, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. To the Christian this evening, I think we need to take heed. That all of our hypocrisy, as I said, is, is just time wasted. It's, it's reward eternally lost. I don't believe, I'm not one of those people that believe God's going to play a video and show all your, your mess-ups. But I do believe this. I do believe this. That we have so many opportunities for eternal reward. And our worship of Him, our life lived for Him, is the determining factor in that reward. 
In 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can't, you can't earn it. It's by Jesus Christ. That foundation is laid by faith, uh, by the grace of God. Uh, it's a gift from God through Jesus Christ. But he says, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You can't lay another foundation, but you can determine how you build upon that foundation. And right building comes out of right worship. Right building comes out of right worship. Remember, worship and eternal reward are not just for the, Afri for the missionary going to Africa, but it's for being a mother. It's for being a godly father. It's for being a, a, a godly plumber. It's for being a godly businessman. Whatever it is, as unto the Lord. Paul was talking to uh, a population of, of Roman slaves. And he says in Colossians 3, 3.22, he says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, this is rough. Paul, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a slave. How can I get eternal reward? Paul, I work at Aladdin Mills in the back. I'm, I'm the lowest man on the totem pole. How can I get eternal reward? I'm just, am I just wasting my life? I, I'm only going to get points when I start full-time service. Is, is that when I'm really going to be building with, with gold and silver and precious stones? When I'm, when I'm behind the pulpit or when I have my own Sunday school class? Is that when I'm going to be building upon that foundation with eternal reward? Paul says, no, slaves. Listen to me. Those in third world countries where missionaries go and preach that never graduated high school, grew up without parents, already have some terminal disease, have a lower life expectancy, will live in shambles their whole life, live in poverty. How, how can I, Jesus, how can I build upon that foundation? How can I gain eternal reward? How can I build with gold and silver and precious stones? Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord. Christ. Do you get it? Your life is worship. Your life is worship. All of it. Wherever you work, it's supposed to be worship. Here in church, yes, man, let's come in with full hearts to sing, be ready to sing and to pray and to listen to preaching and to teach and to all, do all those different things. Let's worship here. But out there in the week, wherever you're at in your job, worship. Build. For eternity, right building comes out of right worship, your heart. Our, our hypocrisy will never satisfy God. Mark it down. You can carry on with it. You can continue to fool yourself. But it will never satisfy God. He'll go away hungry. He will not get worship from you. Because yours is fake. Mine may be fake. Our hypocrisy will be inspected by God. 
He will come up close. He will do inventory. He doesn't do business deals over the phone. He wants to see you face to face. Heart to heart. He wants to look upon your heart. See if it's genuine. And He will do the math and all the hypocrisy of your life that you've supposedly done in Jesus' name. It'll add up to the same amount every time. Hours and hours and hours. Days and days and days. Years and years and years. Adds up to the same amount every time. Zero. Nothing. It will be judged for those that are trusting in that kind of hypocrisy. You've put on a mask pretending to be a Christian. You've established your own righteousness. You think you're a Christian on your own grounds, but you've never truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's an eternal damnation for that kind of hypocrisy. But for Christians, you waste your life and you miss out on opportunities to build with gold, silver, precious stones upon the foundation of Jesus Christ for eternal reward in heaven. No masks allowed in worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together this evening. I pray that You please work in our hearts. Help us, God, to be genuine worshipers of You. 